Lord, as we turn to your word now, please open our hearts and minds to receive. Lord, whatever obstacles may be standing in the way, we pray you'd go through them. We pray that we might be changed to be more like Christ by the power of your spirit, that we might live kingdom first lives. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen. Please be seated. This Friday morning at 6.30, I was at Starbucks on Main Street, and if you remember this morning, it rained for like three hours. Uh, Lots and lots of rain. And I was sitting there waiting for a friend to show up. We were having a meeting that morning. And as I'm waiting, it, it suddenly dawns on me the numbers of people that are coming into Starbucks. And in order to get in, they're having to go through this like torrential downpour. But it's not stopping anybody. And I, and I began because I was just kind of, it just kind of struck me as like, this, is, this is, seems a little crazy. And so I just kind of started counting. Um, and and I wasn't, it wasn't perfect, but over the next hour and a half, as people were walking, I'm just kind of ticking off. I'm just, no, no, no. I counted more than 150 people that came into Starbucks between 6.30 and 8 o'clock while it is pouring outside. And, and there were people from all different like, walks of life. There were people coming in in like, sweatpants, and there were people coming in in suits. People coming in with their kids, without their kids. One of my favorites is I'm sitting here and I'm looking right at the door, which is how I'm noticing it's everybody coming in. And one lady comes in, and I couldn't help but just, I had this big grin on my face, and she saw it. Because she came in, she had a Spider-Man umbrella that was about this big. It like just covered her head, not even her shoulders. And she comes in like this, and she sees me, and she laughs at herself and puts it down, and she keeps going. But, but it just, it was amazing for me to think that this many, and this isn't even the drive through I mean, if you've seen that Starbucks in the morning, you know the drive through is wrapped around all the time. Why would you go through that much to get the privilege of a $5 cup of coffee. I mean, could you not make this at home when it's pouring down rain? But like, when we really want something, we will often do what it takes to get it. We'll go out of our way, we'll be uncomfortable, but if there's something we really want, we will often go out of our way to get it. Here's my question for this morning. What happens when your wants, your desires, uh, your plan for your life conflicts with what the king wants for your life? What happens when those two things are at odds? We've been going through the Old Testament. We're hitting the primary narrative leading up to Christ for Advent. And as we're going through we just left the scene in the wilderness where they despised the word of God and God said for the next 40 years until this generation is done, you're going to wander in the wilderness until they die off. We are jumping forward a couple of centuries now into the book of Samuel. They have been in the promised land for a couple of centuries at this point. And we come to a scene where the Hebrews want what they want. And their king 
wants something else. And I want to answer two questions this morning. Why do they want something different from their king? And number two, what happens when they actually demand that? How does the king respond? How does the king respond when his people demand something different than what he wants? Now, what I've seen over the last eight weeks is I preach too long. <laughs> so I have a third question, but I'm only going to answer it if I have time. And if I don't have time, I'm going to end my sermon after the two questions, and then you'll need to read my notes as we go into the week, and I'll answer the third one that way. Open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 8. We're going to look mostly at 1 Samuel 8. We're going to do a little bit in chapter 12. The intervening chapters are where Saul is established as the first king of Israel. 1 Samuel chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. Why do the Hebrews, the elders, these are the elders of the people, why do they reject their king? Why do they want something different than what he wants? 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 1. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah. They were judges in Bathsheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. It's just a little bit of background to lead into what the elders are going to say. Samuel has been the judge in Israel all his life. And he's a very special judge. Okay, if you've read the book of Judges, there are a number of different judges. However, those judges are geographic judges. They rule over just parts of Palestine. Samuel is the first judge and prophet to really stand over the entire region. And he's dedicated his life to doing this. Now he's getting older and he's taken his own sons, and he's raising them to be judges. And he sends them to Beersheba to practice, to have some experience. And here's what happens. Verse 4. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together, and they came to Samuel at Ramah. This is where he lives. They've probably come right to his home. The elders of Israel have gathered together and walked to Samuel's house. And they said to him, behold, you are old. That's a pleasant thing to hear, isn't it? <laughs> and your sons do not walk in your ways. All right, here's their first reason for rejecting their king. For having a plan, and when I say king, I'm talking about Yahweh. For having a plan that's different than his. They have a very logical reason for it. Right, we laugh a little at how, how it's said, you know, you are old. Right, but they have a point. Right, here's their point. Samuel, you've been doing this a long time. You are getting older. You don't have much time left. You can't do all the things you used to do. And I know your succession plan. You are training your sons to take your place. But what do we know about his sons? They are unjust. They take bribes. They pervert right and wrong. 
Are these the guys you want taking over as judges in your land? They have a very logical reason for their rejection. How many of you in their place might not think some of the same things? I mean, you see your ruler who's done a great job for a very long time, but he's getting up there. It's not as easy for him to make the rounds any longer. You know he doesn't have much longer, and you know that the next people to take over, would you want them being the next judges? They're not like you. They have a very logical reason. Here's the first thing I want you to consider. In your own life, how often has your logic dictated you take a different path than what your king would want? Because you look at your situation, you look at a person or relationship, and logically speaking, the best thing for you to do is to maybe cut this off, not take this path. It's not good financially for my family. It's not good that I set myself in this position to be hurt. There's all kinds of logical things that make sense. What is the logic missing in what they are saying? It does not include Yahweh. Yes, it's perfectly logical. But God is the one who established Samuel in this position. They may look at the situation and go, you know, the most logical thing for us to do is to move on. And that's what they're going to say in a minute. A whole new system, in fact. And I can see that. But what they are not taking into account is Yahweh. He is a part of this equation. Number one, they reject their king for a very logical reason. And, and I would ask you, think about your own life. Think about the ways where your own logic, it makes sense, but it's not including your God in the equation. Number two, keep going. Now appoint for us a king. They've had no king yet, at least not a human king. Yahweh has been their king. Appoint for us a king to judge us like the other nations. Hey, that's a very specific word, judge. Not rule, but what Samuel does. We want to replace you, is what they're saying. And we'll get to that in a minute. We'll see Samuel's reaction. Hey, they want a king. And very specifically, they want one like the other nations. Jump down, if you will, to verse 19. They're going to kind of explain this more. Give some more details. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, No, but there shall be a king over us. And listen to what they say. That we may also be like the all nations, that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Here's their problem. They are tired of being different. In a lot of ways. They are tired of being the only nation. And by the way, this generation that's saying this, all they have known is a judge. A judge who is a prophet and a judge and who walks, but not somebody who goes before them in battle. Not this strong, tall, charismatic leader that they can look to. And they say, we're tired of this. We're tired of being the only ones that are weird like this. We're tired of having to trust something we can't see. We want a king that is tangible, that is strong, that we can look at and go, I can put my faith in that. Because that's not what they have right now. 
What they have now is an invisible God who doesn't just show up every day and reassure them. They have to trust. They say, we're tired of this. We are different, folks. I see it every Sunday morning, especially now. Hey, the weather is gorgeous right now. I don't know what you saw driving to church, but I saw all kinds of people out taking walks, jogging, walking their dogs, playing with their kids, and we're stuck inside this room. I mean, honestly, that, that, that's a little weird. Like, that's beautiful out there. By the way, please show up next week, right? <laughs> but that's, that's part of it. We are, if we are following our king, we are different. We are called to look at the world differently. We're called to look at relationships differently. We're called to look at how we spend our money differently. We are called to be different, and they're tired of it. We want to be like them. I just want to get up on a Sunday morning when it is beautiful, one of my only two days off, and just take a walk. They want to be more like the other nations. It's a driving desire. Let me ask you, how strong, just kind of back to that beginning illustration, how strong are your wants and desires? What are some of the things that you really, really want and you are willing just to go, I want to be more like my neighbor. I want to be more like that person that can just, I want to show my vengeance. I'm tired of trying to pray for my enemy. That is hard and ridiculous. I just want to let that go for once. That, that's where they're at. One of the reasons they reject their king is because they are tired. Tired of being different. Tired of having to trust in something they can't see tired of having to do things that are so hard and not just be like everybody else. Before we hit number three, we have a little interlude. I'm going to steal Heather's word. We have an interlude here. Um, we get Samuel's response. Verse six, but the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. Um, and that's a, that's a good translation but it does miss something in Hebrew. That word displeased is at the front, and it's a word that quite often has the idea of wickedness. This is wickedness in the eyes of Samuel. This is very upsetting, and do you blame him? You know, just put yourself in Samuel's shoes. You have dedicated your life to serving these people. You've dedicated your life to wandering around Palestine being a judge, being a prophet, you've probably done very little ever for yourself. And this is how they react? Hey, you're old. We're going to kick you out now. Like, we're just going to kick you to the side like some trash. I mean, here, here's what I imagined. Right? None of the staff at Redemption are young. Right, just to be honest. None of us are young. When you did a lot of church plants, the lead pastor starts off, he's like 25, 26 years old. I started at 40, and everybody else is just older than I am. I won't mention their ages. They're all older than I am. This is not a young staff of a church for a church plant. 
And here's what I imagine. I imagine 20, 25 years from now, I've got a younger guy who is like the second in the church. He's probably going to take the church over. And, and one day, because our staff is gone by then. Nobody but me is left in 25 years. <laughs> and, and that's for their sake. They don't want to be here in 25 years. But so everybody's young, and here comes this younger guy, and they all come into my office, like assuming we're not still in pink at that point. They all come into my office, and they go, you're old. <laughs> and we're, we're kind of done with you. Um, we'd like Joe here just to take over. Man, I am standing up and going, you ungrateful, and I'm going to say words that I can't say because it's being recorded, but I'm in my office at the time so I can say it. And I am laying into them, and I am fully justified in laying into them. And I mean, if I am Samuel, I am giving these people a piece of my mind right now. I am standing up to my full authority as the prophet of God, as the judge that God has established, and I am saying, you ungrateful little blank, how dare you do this to me? After everything, I've been serving you for so many decades. And this is how you're going to treat me? And boy, I am put to shame by Samuel's response. And Samuel prayed to Yahweh. I just, I feel so pathetic. Here's this prophet who is being absolutely persecuted, who's being, these people are so ungrateful. And he's been doing this for so many decades. And instead of attacking, he turns to Yahweh and he prays. Just as a side note, where do you turn first? All right, keep going. And Samuel prayed to Yahweh, and Yahweh said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me. From being king over them. Here's the third thing that causes them to reject their king. I would call it maybe being naive, um, uncritical, unthinking, oblivious. There's all kinds of ways I might describe this. They don't even know that they're rejecting Yahweh. They don't even recognize that their action by saying to Samuel, we want a king, is rejecting Yahweh. They're oblivious to it. How many of your actions, as you follow your desires, if you were to stop, sit down, and critically start to think about what you're doing, you would recognize, I am completely going against my God. Like, I didn't even realize it. Like, I I was being very logical in this part. I knew that I really wanted this. I had some reasons for it. I stepped out and did it. But if I am being honest... And if I'm really looking at his word, wow, I am off the path. They don't even recognize it at first. All they think is going on is they're just going to do a change of government. This government's kind of falling apart. We don't like it. We're kind of tired of being so different. So just give us a king. And Yahweh has to say to Samuel, they're rejecting me, not you. Sometimes our rejection of our king is just us not even recognizing we're doing it. Just living into that moment, or whatever it is, 
It could be anger. It could be desire. It could be, I've logically thought through all of this, and it just makes sense, and I'm not even going to go to God like Samuel did and pray. I'm just going to step out and do it. And we're rejecting our king without even realizing it. They are being very, very uncritical, moving in their emotion and their logic and rejecting their king. And then number four, and the final thing, turn to 1 Samuel 12. 1 Samuel 12. Samuel stands before the people. Saul has been established. They're going to have their king now. And at first, he he talks about his own life, and we're going to hit that part right now. And he just says to them, I challenge you to be a witness against anything I've done wrong with you guys. You're throwing me out, but I have served you in all good conscience. And they have nothing to say. Samuel's been a great leader. But then, verse 6, Samuel said to the people, Yahweh is witness who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. And we've looked at that recently. Now, therefore, stand still that I may plead with you before Yahweh concerning all the righteous deeds of Yahweh that he performed for you and your fathers. Let me remind you of the amazing things that Yahweh has done. You want a human king. You want an easy way out. You want this tangible stuff. You want to be like everybody else. Let me remind you of what Yahweh has done. Verse 8, when Jacob went into Egypt and the Egyptians oppressed them, then your fathers cried out to Yahweh, and we studied that too. And Yahweh sent Moses and Aaron, who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them to dwell in this place, because they're finally in the promised land. But they forgot Yahweh their God. They forgot. And by implication, as he tells them this story, you have forgotten. Now, before we are too harsh or critical on them, think about their situation. They have been in this land for centuries. They have been different from everybody else. They have not seen the Red Sea parted. Nobody in this generation saw that. They have not seen the great acts of Yahweh in the same way that their fathers did centuries before. They are in a different place, and it is easy for them to forget, to forget their God, to forget in the day-to-day of life his power, his love, his commitment to them. They've just forgotten that. The fourth reason why they reject their king is they have forgotten who he is, what he's accomplished, what he's capable of, how he cares for them. That's kind of in the rearview mirror, and they're moving on. Four reasons why they reject their king. There's a logical reason. Maybe you can relate to that sometimes. There's a desire they have. There's something they want because they're so tired of things the way they are, and they're willing to just step out despite their king and do what they want. Number three, they don't even realize it's a rejection of Yahweh. They're so caught up in what they're doing, they're not even taking time to recognize they're rejecting their king. And number four, they have forgotten. In the day-to-day of life, they have forgotten Yahweh. 
And all of those things lead to them rejecting their king. When my daughter was young, I remember being home with her and doing a dot-to-dot. Do you remember the dot-to-dots? Um, they have them for kids. They also now have them for adults, much like they have coloring for adults. They have these very intricate dot-to-dots. You can see pictures of them online of like, I mean, I don't know how many dots there are, but they're, you know, like count to 2,000 and connect all those dots. But as I'm doing this dot-to-dot with her, we'd picked up this book at like a dollar store or something, and one page that we were doing, like there was a mistake on the page. There were missing numbers for the dot to dot. There was one for this portion that should have been drawn, and that's it. All the rest of them weren't there. And so when she finishes the dot to dot, it's a picture of a cat with this one line sticking out to the side. And, and I knew what the picture was supposed to be, but she was like, oh, this cute, sweet little kitty. <laughs> and it's a little kitty. But it wasn't supposed to be a kitty. The, the missing dots were the mane of a lion. Like, this wasn't a cute little kitty. This was a lion. But as my daughter's looking at it, she's missing a whole bunch of the picture that seriously changes how you see the picture. You know, come here, little kitty. That's... I mean, that's a very different picture than what my daughter thinks she's getting. And, and here's the thing about all of their reasons for rejecting their king. And, and I think maybe true of us as well. That they're just not looking at the entire picture. In some way, Yahweh is missing in every one of their reasons for doing what they're doing. In some way, it's an incomplete picture of what reality really is. And, and that's why they're making their decision. This incomplete picture of their situation. Brothers and sisters, any decision you make that doesn't involve your Lord is an incomplete decision. It is a picture that is missing some of the dots. And it is more than likely to put you on a path that is against your king. It is different from his desires for your life, for the plan that he has. So that's what they do. They turn away. They demand a king. They reject their king, Yahweh. How does their king respond? Look back at 1 Samuel chapter 8. How does Yahweh respond? I'm, I'm kind of blown away by this. Moses put me to shame last week. Samuel puts me to shame this week. My God is about to put me to shame. Verse 8. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. First thing that Yahweh does, he comforts his prophet. In the midst of the rejection of him, I mean, I, you guys all get to some degree, as we talked about it, how much pain this probably brought Samuel to be cast aside in this way, to have any lack of appreciation. How much more so for God? I mean, just think about that. 
He made them. He saved them. He sacrificed for them. And yet, instead of like blowing up or anything, first thing he does is he comforts his prophets. He says, first off, Samuel, it's not you they're rejecting, it's me. And it's the same thing they've been doing. Please don't take this personally, basically. I'm I'm doing my own translation. Samuel, don't take this personally. This is what they do. This is what the people are like. They've been doing it all along. Like the moment I pulled them out of Egypt, they started doing this. This is what the people are like. You cannot take this personally, Samuel. First thing he does is comfort his prophet. But the second thing he does, and again, my mind is just kind of blown. Like this is just such a, this is not my response. Verse 10. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Verse 9. Now then, obey their voice only. And here it is. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. All right, here's what I want you to do. I want you to listen to them. But before you do, I want you to warn them. I want them to understand the situation they are about to put themselves in. I want you to try to protect my people who are rejecting me outright. I want you to try and protect them. That's the heart of our God. As we go, you know what? I don't want you anymore. I'm going to go this way. He doesn't go, fine. Go then, you ungrateful little beep. No, he goes, if that's what they want, give it to them, but please warn them. Tell them what it's going to be like. Make sure they understand. They think the grass is greener on the other side. It is not. When they get this king, and he goes on to enumerate, there are so many other things that are going to go wrong. They think somehow this is like the thing that's going to make it all right. This is going to change everything. Life's going to be wonderful from this point. Please don't let them go into this blind, Samuel. But as their judge, as their prophet, I want you to go convey my words to them and warn them. That's the heart of our God. That even in the midst of rejecting him, he's trying to care for them. A terrible thing happened in 2015. And you may remember the story because it really came to light in June of this year. Um, I just forgot his name. Darn. It's right there, but I tried to think about it, and it went away. Told you, age. All right. Um, And somebody's going to yell his name out probably because you'll remember the story. Um, He was a swimmer at Stanford, and he raped a female student behind a dumpster. The, the, it went on, the trial went on for a year trying to convict him. And when he was finally convicted, and it was acknowledged that he did it, when he was finally convicted, he got six months in prison and then three years of probation. Six months for a convicted rape. At this point, it has actually changed the laws in California 
Like over the last couple of weeks, they just signed into law, new laws dealing with rape, that judges no longer have as much discretion as they did before because of this case. Now, this girl who had to go through the trial, she was told by her attorney, you know, this is not going to work the way you want it to, and you know, this, it, it, what you may desire from this is probably not going to happen, and he may get off, and I mean, there's just all these things. She was grilled, I mean grilled on the stand. You know, so what were you doing? Why were you doing this? I mean, as if she were the one that somehow caused this. And in the end, the one thing she was able to do, she wrote a 12-page typed response that she got to read in court facing the boy who did this to her. And it got a bunch of publicity. They pulled a bunch of things out of it. One story I saw on two paragraphs in it that it said, a lot of people got a lot of stuff, but they missed this. And I just want to read you these two paragraphs. She is saying this to him. And by the way, he is still not taking responsibility for this. He is still denying it. She says to him, your life is not over. You have decades of years ahead to rewrite your story. The world is huge. It is so much bigger than Palo Alto and Stanford. And you will make a space for yourself in it where you can be useful and happy. Right now, your name is tainted. So I challenge you to make a new name for yourself, to do something good for the world, something that will blow everyone away. You have a brain and a voice and a heart. Use them wisely. You possess immense love from your family. That alone can pull you out of anything. Mine has held me up through all of this. Yours will hold you and you will go on. I believe that one day you will understand all of this better. I hope you will become a better, more honest person who can properly use this story to prevent another story like it from ever happening again. I fully support your journey to healing, to rebuilding your life, because that is the only way you'll ever begin to help others. Can you imagine saying that to your rapist who is still denying he's done anything wrong? After a year of drawn out trial that you got put on the stand for, that kind of attitude, that's what our God does. Even as we're holding on to things, our God is going, I want to help you. I want to pull you out of this. I know that you have sinned. You're not even turning to me, but I'm still going to warn you and try and pull you back. And when you do come back, I want to make something out of your life. I don't care what you've gone through. I don't care how bad you've been. In my son, there is forgiveness for everybody. And I can take you on a path that is so much greater than what your sin and your guilt and your darkness will lead you to. We serve a God that doesn't give up. When Peter denied Jesus, it was Jesus who came to Peter and said, I want to restore you. When you and I were still in our sin, it was God who said, I'm coming to you, not you to me. That's our God. That's what he does to his people here, and it's what he still offers to us today.
I said I would stop if I couldn't get to my third point. I don't have time to get to my third point. Um, it'll take another like 10 to 12 minutes, which will put us out like at 1140, and it'll be too long. Here's, here's what I'm going to do for my, my third point. Um, I'm just going to barely whet your appetite. Here's the question that I want to answer that I'm not going to answer today. What do we do if we find out we have been rejecting our king? What do we do if we go, you know what, I've done that, I've done that, I think I'm doing that right now. And I know my God will take me back. I know my God still loves me. How do we turn back? What's he looking for to turn back? You'll need to read my email this week to get it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for who you are. It seems so often we do forget. We get caught up in the cares of this world. We get caught up in our own desires. We get caught up in our pain, which while very real, sometimes distances us from you because we don't turn to you. We don't give it to you. We just try and solve it ourselves. Lord, thank you that you don't give up. And I pray this morning for every person in this room, that in the power of your spirit, where we are running from you, where we are trapped in our guilt, where we are stuck in bitterness or anger, Lord God, that you might give us release, that we might turn to you in ways we have not before, that we might give to you those things that are keeping us from fully serving you because you are the almighty God who loves us, who cares for us, and doesn't give up. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we ask it, amen.